0: Johnny, you excited to see your family this week? I am excited to see my family. I'm back in Florida for the week and I'll be running on the beach every day. I'm looking forward to it. And it's gonna get those legs back together for the tough mudder next week.
1: Ah, uh, yes. And all of our fans have been sending over tips on how to tackle these obstacle courses. It's actually my first, so I'm starting to get a little nervous. We got a crew, about twenty of us, so it's gonna be a good time. Oh, we are taking that course hostage. Yes. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. And we're so happy you joined us on the show. This is a podcast where we bring you actionable tips and strategies to help you connect socially, boost your confidence, and navigate all those nuances of social behavior.
0: Our show is based on live in-person training programs that we've been running for over a decade here in sunny Hollywood, California.
1: If you want to learn more about these world-class boot camps, check us out at theartofcharm.com slash camp. Now, last week, we had a blast talking to Jay Shetty, and if you missed that episode, you should definitely check it out. Jay has a fascinating story and offered
0: a lot of tips on how to deal with those toxic relationships we've all encountered. Today is our monthly Q&A episode. We've collected a bunch of your email questions. You guys have definitely stepped up your game. Thanks for sending us so many.
1: Yeah, we've received so much mail on toxic relationships that we're going to have to stretch this out and address some of your questions throughout future episodes in April and May.
0: Yeah, Michael's been hard at work taking some of those questions and working them into more content. So stay tuned in April. And if you have questions you'd like us to answer, send them in. Johnny, where can our listeners send
1: us their questions?
0: Simple, you can reach us by going to theartofcharm.com slash questions or email us at questions at theartofcharm.com.
1: So with us today is David Hensel, a mentor of mine, great friend, and I'm really excited about this because we're always promoting mentorship.
0: It's been a long time coming to finally get David with us on the show. We're very excited for you all to hear it. All right, let's get to your questions.
1: David, thank you so much for dropping by today. We're glad to have you.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, we met a number of years ago. We've talked about having you on the show. And now that you've been in Turkey for a little bit, it's always tough to get the schedule together. So thank you for stopping by here in LA.
2: Of course. Pleasure being a-
1: we're just going to jump right in. As a successful entrepreneur, husband, father, one of the things that we all struggle with is juggling and wearing that many hats. And I'd love to hear from you, how you've been able to manage growing a business, growing a family, as well as staying healthy and happy yourself.
2: It has been definitely a long road, you know, at um, finding a lot of habits and processes and systems. I think that's really the key to, to being able to be successful in, in all these areas, right? And I think your habits and these systems determine pretty much everything in your life. If you're fit or if you're overweight, if you're Broke, or if you have a lot of money, if you're happy or unhappy, I think this all comes down to what habits do you cultivate, right? And in my personal life, there are a lot of things. One thing that had a big impact was the inner engineering course from Sadhguru. It's a three-day course, and they teach you how to do a certain meditation and yoga practice, which I do every morning. This has been very impactful for me. And on the work side, you know, I've been pushing you to do this well. The EOS system, the entrepreneurial operating system from the book Traction from Gino Wickman. For all the entrepreneurs on the show, please do yourself a favor and read this book and implement it. it has been a real game changer for me. And on the family side, my wife and I came up with a, few, uh, with a system that's applying business principles to your family life, that this works wonders a few years ago. And let's dig into that because I know we have a, a number of
1: parents and entrepreneurs listening who struggle with that balance, who find themselves leaning in very strongly in one area and not finding the balance in their life that they need to really be happy?
2: Yeah, I think, um, first of all, work-life balance, I think is a bad word in the first place, because this means like it's always a tug of war going back and forth, right? Work-life integration, I think is, is the key that you just really make it all one, you know, and you integrate the things as much As possible and you also put the same emphasis on family time family meetings like you have with business meetings you actually put them into the calendar and you're very intentional with all the things that that you want to do you know just like small example going on vacation used to be always uh, we went on vacation when my wife lost it because we haven't been on a vacation forever because i was just heads down working and there's always you know then i made a knee-jerk reaction booking something way overpriced not planned you know and uh and all the projects I've been working on are going down the drain because, you know, and all the meetings have to be rescheduled. It's just a nightmare. And now we just like plan this way in advance, you know, so my calendar is blocked and, and, and nothing happens. But going back to the initial idea on applying business principles to family life was um, I came home from a meeting about the roles and responsibilities at MaxCDN, my business back then. And uh, I was sitting on the couch and my daughter had a full diaper and I pointed this out to my wife, said, Hey honey, look, Emma has a full diaper. And she blew up because she thought, you know, I I told her to change the diaper, even though I was just making a statement. Um, And then I I was wondering, why are we fighting about this? She changed the diaper 90% of the time and I'm totally cool with doing it. But how should I know that it's my turn at 7.30 PM on a Wednesday? And then I realized we never talked about roles and responsibilities in our private life. And the next morning, we sat down and just listed all the things that, you know, I expect of her and that she's doing and and vice versa. And this took away 80% of the friction we ever had in our relationship, because all these unspoken expectations were just clarified. And when this worked so well, I thought, huh, maybe we can take other aspects from business and apply to our personal lives as well, like... Having family core values, having a regular meeting, having everything in our calendars, having a to-do software to just keep track of things. And this was such a game changer for us that after selling my last business, I focused on putting this together into a course, it's called ManagingHappiness.com, to share this with other entrepreneurs and other people.
1: Now, do your family meetings have agendas? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and who's in charge of the agenda? Uh, that's me. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: And do you try to keep the meetings nice and tight like you would
2: a business meeting? Yeah, I mean, uh, even with a business meeting, I like to go in with having an agenda, but then you can kind of deviate from, right. from what's on there. But like, always, I like to be prepared, even though if we change the plan, but at least having a plan. And I would
1: imagine sitting down and determining roles and responsibilities in the family, were there surprises along the way that you weren't maybe... Prepared for or, or thinking
2: about? No, there were no surprises. Just like non-friction points that had to be cleared out. You know, like for example, who who brings? Now it's um, you know, who brings our daughter to preschool? Who picks her up? You know, who puts her to bed in the evening? And once you have like the system down, then just you don't have all these discussions. It's just like clear, who does what?
1: Like, right. And then walking around with the unsaid can lead to a lot of
2: unhappiness and even resentment at times. Yeah. Just Just imagine in your business when it's not clear who does what. It's just gonna be. Can I say shit show? Um, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you can say shit show.
0: I would, uh, to go along with what you were saying, I, would, I was thinking about this in a manner of, I can see one of the partners who would want to implement this to make things easier, to have a schedule, to have some routines, to integrate this properly for both parties to be happy. And I could see uh, the other half of the party Possibly saying, well, now you're taking all the romance and the chemistry and all of these magical things, the surprise out of our relationship, and to convey why those things would still be there, even in implementing this. Because I think for a lot of people, when we talk about structure, immediately they go to, well, you're taking out all the fun. And it's like, well, it's going to allow us to maximize our fun by having this. So... Do you have anything to say to that other partner to get them on board with, with such a thing?
2: I mean, just what you just said. You know, it's yeah. like you'll have way more time for fun <laughs> stuff because you're just not fighting over stupid things, right? Also, with, with fights in relationships, usually you you just want to win the argument. You don't really want to solve the issue, yeah. right? You, you would never go to your head of sales and yell at them, like, <laughs> why are the numbers not there, right? Um, you would sit down with him in a you know solution oriented manner and figure out like hey man what's the problem? Don't we have enough leads? Or do you need more money? Or you need some you know SDR sales development rep? But with your spouse it's often very different. You know it's emotionally oh, yeah. heated up. And uh, <laughs> what we found is that we we just take notes in our family meeting agenda for the next next one. Like yeah. A friction point that we had, and then we sit down after you know the heat, is you know it's not boiling anymore and. We have a solution-oriented discussion on how we can fix this bug in our relationship. Otherwise, if you don't fix it, or if you only fix it with duct tape, it's always going to come up over and over and over again.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the wanting to win the argument, kicking the can down the road, the problem persists, but we feel emotionally charged and one of us feels like there's a resolution usually when we're winning we feel like oh that was resolved <laughs> great nothing is to see here and then but that's <laughs> a couple of weeks later we're in the same argument again
2: yeah so so my wife and i have uh, or in the system we um we list the things that annoy us about our partners sure. and then the partner can pick one of them that they want to work on and that's the, the focus for you know the week and then at the at the end of the week we grade each other like hey how did i do with this topic you know so you, because most friction points are just habits or patterns that you have. And, you know, it takes some time to, to work them out. And it's like a way of like focusing on this issue and eliminating this bug in your software. It's funny. I can't help but picture coming
0: in and saying, listen, honey, you know, I know we've had a lot of issues and some problems and I want to work this out. So moving forward, we're going to put these meetings together. We've got these agendas and we're going to work on these issues. And I could just see like, well, you should just know Right, and it's like (laughs) these past relationships. It's like, well, there's a reason why those past relationships didn't work out.
1: (laughs) I'm still trying to figure out. Right, I think, and that's the great part about the grading system is you actually get the feedback you need Mm because a lot of us are trying to change things and implement things, and we're not getting the feedback loop complete where we know, okay, this change that I'm implementing is working, or this change that I'm implementing is not working, and we're missing the mark.
2: Yeah, that's that's the important thing that you actually have like a a habit, a reoccurring thing that you can you know look at you know what you measure will improve right in business right. like business one and mm-hmm. same thing in relationships. Otherwise, you know you have this talk and you think it's better, but then the habit creeps in again. You know, so you just kind of have to stay on the ball to make sure it's really eliminated from from your
1: behavior. And we we talk about business and traction system EOS. We talk about family now. What about personally? because i think a lot of us when we're juggling those three things personal definitely falls to the wayside and you were even talking about being so focused on work hyper focused on work head down uh, i know a lot in the audience you know can feel burned out at that point because they're not taking care of themselves personally
2: yeah i think you have to taking care of myself you know you having work life integration not a tug of war between like hey i'm doing something for me that i need to function it's not it's not not working you know it's just like i'm kind of, you have to need a holistic view. Like when I, I go to the gym three times a week, and then, you know, I also go into sauna every time, and this takes time. But in this time, I'm kind of grinding through work issues, whatever, and I'm, and I'm resolving stuff. You know, it's, it doesn't work that you always go, go, go. You need some time to think as well, right? And also, you have to, you know, you have when you're on an airplane, and the oxygen masks come out. You have to take it first before you give it to your kid, even right? Because you have to be able to function. You have to be strong to be strong for somebody else. You know, so some form of healthy egoism, I guess, is a is a good thing to have.
1: Yeah, and it's it's easy for a lot of us to be busy with our work because that's just a nice outlet. And then let you know our nutrition slide, our fitness slide, and and you were even talking about your yoga meditation practice in the mornings. Are there other rituals that you've built up? To create that space for you personally to, to be a high performing
2: executive? Oh yeah, that's um, you know, over the years I've been a personal development geek for many, many years. I've read pretty much every personal development book under the sun. One thing that has been really impactful to me is having a gratitude rock, which I always have in my pocket. And, you know, pick it out every morning and go through the things I'm grateful for. And during the day, I have it in my pocket, and sometimes I feel Stressed, And then I feel the stone. This brings me back to like, you know, actually you have so much beauty in your life and this little problem you'll go through as well. Because often the big problems of the moment, right? You don't even know that they existed three months from now. You know, so it's like kind of take an inventory on like actually how much good things you have going for you, right? And in the evening when I come home, I take out the stone and I go through the things that went great this day. Because often you have a productive day, everything's good. And at 5 p.m. You have an unpleasant conversation with a customer, an employee, your spouse or whatever, and you think everything sucks, but did not. You know, and I've been doing this for many years and I've built up an, a pretty extreme gratitude muscle that allows me to go through a lot of stuff. And I've been through a lot of crazy stuff already. Yeah, I
1: mean, we talked about the gratitude rock years ago and, and how impactful it's been in, in your life. And I think when we're so focused on the immediate results and solving the problem, and a lot of us in our work are rewarded for solving problems, And you view everything as a problem, you can lose sight of just the magnitude of the problem, right? Everything becomes the biggest problem in the world, when in reality, it's the problem this week. There'll be Mm -hmm. another problem next week. Yeah, there's
2: always going to be a problem, yeah. Right. As long as you have new problems, everything's good. (laughs) Having the same problems all the time is just not a good thing.
1: The systems are broken if it's the same problem every time. Now, you built a course, Managing Happiness and being able to build amazing companies, sell companies, reach success, that I know a lot of our listeners would love to reach. What is your definition of happiness?
2: Hmm. That's a a good question. I think, first of all, happiness comes from insights, has to do only with you, it has nothing to do with external forces. I mean of course you, the basics have to be there like you know shelter and food etc but everything else is just gravy you know kind of by doing the gratitude ex- exercise you kind of see how much beauty you actually have in your life and yeah I think it, it really comes down to the essentials and seeing that everything aside from the pure essentials is just gravy and when you're in this mindset you know kind of having a stoic approach to life being happy is much easier actually I never I found out about stoicism like maybe five, you know eight years ago or so. And I was like, holy cow, this describes me. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so understanding Stoicism, some of our audience may not be familiar with it. What, what's your biggest takeaway from Stoicism?
2: As I just said, the biggest takeaway is that you just like, need very minimal things to be actually happy. You know, like when you're outside in the woods, have no clothes on and it's snowing, and you find a hut where, and, and you're starving, and you find a hut and somebody gives you a bowl of soup, this raises your happiness level by crazy magnitudes but everything else that comes thereafter you know like little bigger house etc doesn't really change that much you know also like when you uh, think you can motivate people by just paying them more money at a certain point it's you cannot tickle more results out of them because just you know doesn't make a difference anymore yeah as a
1: manager we need to realize that there's a threshold to motivation based on financials and most of us, when we think about happiness, we're not thinking about the resiliency that comes along with it, right? We're not focused on the definition of happiness is not living in happiness every moment. It's understanding that you can be happy and unhappy at times and managing the unhappy moments so that you can return and not lose sight of the grateful things you
2: have in your life. I think another really important thing we just uh, just remind me of something. Being in the moment, being in the here and now, is like also a super big key to to being happy. Uh, The Eckhart Tolle principle, you know, power of now. Like every anxiety and fear comes from thoughts of the future, and every anger comes from thoughts of the past. And if you're just like in the here and now, everything's beautiful.
1: Right. We don't realize how much of our emotions are tied to that. Trying to forecast the future and avoid the pain potentially, and then dwelling on you know past grievances.
2: I read somewhere, um, like a quote, like I'm a, I'm a wise old man and I lived through many horrible things, and only a fraction of these things actually happened, you know. But you kind of live through them anyway because you imagine that they happen,
1: right? Absolutely. And I know we met each other. I want to say it's like almost nine years ago now, and I've been struck by just how much of a super connector you are. I feel like everywhere we go. You know someone or know someone who knows someone, and you've expanded my network immensely. And I found it so interesting that you describe yourself as an introvert who's struggled a bit with social anxiety and, and working through these things. So let's talk about that process, because sure. I certainly don't see it in in my <laughs> interactions with you, and I'm sure all of your your friends in your network
2: don't see it either. I'm a recovering introvert. I used to be super introverted. Just like being on a conference call freaked me out. You know, it was, was, was pretty extreme. And I've realized how much this is holding me back in business and in life. And I, you know, knew I have to do some changes. And the first thing I did was exposure therapy. I went to Toastmasters, which was really amazing. I went twice a week to Toastmasters. And I went twice a week, I went to random networking events and just talked to everybody and their mom until, you know, I I just didn't didn't care anymore. And then I had a... really big epiphany. My yoga teacher said every decision in life, you either make out of love or out of fear. And if you make them out of um, love, you're on the right track. And if you make them out of fear, you're on the wrong track. And this was so profound, something I always knew. I almost fell out of downward facing dog. (laughs) And this is like kind of my mantra in in everything. If I, before I always made about me, like meeting a new person, you know, I thought like, oh, do I walk over to this person and talk to them? They, they they probably think I'm a weirdo. They probably think whatever kind of the stuff that you make up because I made it about me. Versus if I make it about this other person, like hey, there's there's another person. Let's see how I can provide value to this person. And it's like my 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 go to thing. And then it becomes super super easy. Or being here on this podcast or speaking at a conference. You know, before before I would have like smiled and shot myself in the face versus versus doing that because I was acting out of fear. You know, standing on, and I was making it about me. Standing on stage thinking. Do they think I have a weird German accent? Do they think I'm an idiot? Do they think whatever, right? But now I just turn around and think about them and what I have to say could potentially help them in their business in their life or whatever. Um, And then it all, all of a sudden becomes easy because it's not about me anymore.
1: Now, Toastmasters for our audience who's not familiar is public speaking, essentially. It's groups that assemble to become better at getting in front of a room and talking. So what would you say your biggest lesson from Toastmasters was? Going twice a week sounds pretty aggressive.
2: <laughs> the biggest lesson I learned there was just like to just do it, you know, to do it over and over again, feel uncomfortable. It's fine. Just, you know, back to ecotology. just be the watcher, see the unpleasant experience and just like, don't give it too much value and keep on doing it. And then it's just going to disappear at some point.
0: One of the things you were mentioning there about uh, how in the past you had made all these, these moments about, you which and it made it difficult for you to work through them and one of the things when we're doing the the classes and a lot of the guys who are putting that hindrance those hurdles in front of themselves it's because they're thinking in that manner it's all about them what this other person's thinking what this person might think about them and the thing about it is none of these people are malicious or selfish but when you lay it out how selfish you're being by making this about you all of a sudden that whole thing flips We're like, well, I don't want to be selfish. I'm not selfish. I'm not that way. Well, you're acting that way. And they're like, Oh my God, I've never seen it in that manner. And now all of a sudden, because they're so wrapped up in not wanting to be selfish, they're able to now start finding other ways to look at it outside of that. And I always laugh. I go the audacity that you have to make this about you. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, I didn't. I'm like, and then the other guy's the room, they're like, wait, you are making it about you. It's a it's a great realization, and it will instantly change you once you see how you're positioning yourself. And, and the, we just had an episode today where I was like, "Well, aren't you the special little snowflake?" And he's like, "Well, I'm not." I'm, not. I'm like, and he's like, "Oh, but I, I guess I guess I painted myself that way." I'm like, "Yeah, you did." <laughs>
2: it's, it's interesting, and another crazy advantage I had from. Acting out of love, not out of fear was sales. I used to hate sales with a passion. I couldn't self or could not close deals for the life of me, you know, because I always felt like odd by doing this, you know, but if I, you know, if your motivation is just to make money, right? If you just Mm -hmm. see the dollars, or you want to pay your mortgage or you want to hit your numbers, then you're acting out of fear and then become super hard. But if you, you know, if you see yourself as a doctor, hey, I have this solution, you have this pill for you. Take this, it's gonna, you know, make your life so much better. Then I can can be even pushy, you know, which would have been never possible before. Yeah. And
1: that belief in what it is that you have to offer goes a long way. I know mm-hmm. the, the people listening who are in sales right now, when we don't believe in our offer, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: L- look for look for a new company. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but when we believe in the offer, then what we're offering is a solution that is a form of love, right? We're loving the other person enough to to offer it to them. I think. As someone that I've relied on over the years to mentor us on sales, I know that when we go into sales situations, a lot of us feel like we have to just blurt out everything that we have to offer and try to convince the other person of something. Can you speak to, in your experience in sales, how that
2: conversation is different? People want to buy, they don't want to be sold to, right? So you just, you know, consultative sales work much better. You just like ask the person, you know like like a doctor like hey where does it hurt what can we do and then you 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 tell them how you could solve the pain you know that's
1: and focusing on the benefits instead of the the okay, features exactly we have all these different things the software has to offer most of us we just want our problem solved right yep. we don't care about the bells and whistles now this month is our toxic relationship month and we have a mailbag here full of questions that David's going to be helping us out with the first one is from Matt hey guys i need some help I struggle with conflict and I avoid issues instead of talking to my partner about them. She sees it as me being dishonest and withholding information, but sometimes I'm just trying to protect us both from the conflict. It ends up blowing up because she pushes until I finally tell her what I'm avoiding. I don't want to lose her, but I don't know how to change my behavior. How do I become more open and comfortable with conflict? And how do I build trust with her now that she's started pulling away?
2: Hmm, There's a lot going on. Mm Uh, my mother always said, "Be soft with the person and hard in the case." You know, for example, I've always tied back to work because I'm I'm a workaholic. Uh, <laughs> let's say you have an employee that's always late. I would never yell at this person. You know, my my father always said, "If you have to yell, your arguments are too weak." Right. So I just like tell him like, "Hey, because of X, Y, Z reasons, you know, this is bad when you come late all the time, and if you don't change this behavior, then we can't work together anymore." You know, I'm, I'm I'm really nice. I have no negative emotions. I'm, I don't yell, but I'm very st- strict in the case. Like if this doesn't change, we can't work together anymore. Same thing, like when you talk to your partner, be very direct, but be nice and and strict. This is something that has been working really well for me.
1: And I would say, obviously, it sounds like, you know, what he's withholding, he's having enough time to stew on and really think about. So instead of in the heat of the moment here, I think it's important to find a time and a space where both of them can be more comfortable and not as emotionally charged. But if there's something that he's been holding on to and feels that this is continuing to be an issue, you can't kick it down
2: the road. It just gets worse. Also, when you you don't, same with um, in in your company, when you have like whatever issues and you want to cover them up, it, it just, if it's a little thing, people put their own interpretation in it and just make it way bigger than it actually is. Yeah, you know, so like transparency has been something that we've been practicing in all of our companies and it just makes life so much easier when you're just like always hyper transparent with everybody. Then there's no, you know, because yes, it's it's funny what people make up in their mind when mm-hmm. they interpret. All
1: right. That's why we call it the elephant in the room, right? It's yeah. not the mouse in the room. <laughs> Everyone blows it out of proportion if we're not talking about it. And it sounds like he he is in a situation where now it's blowing up because mm-hmm. he's trying to tell her I don't want to talk about it and and she's pushing. What can he do to start rebuilding her trust now that she feels not as close to him?
0: Well, you know, at least he admitted it to us, right? That's the first step. How about admitting it to your wife? Uh, This is a problem. I want to get better. I need your help and empathy here as I try to to work through this. Uh, And I'm sure they can find a way through communication that they can put together some transparency in these matters, and, and something to allow him to work through this. I have a feeling that it, because of how she has blown up with Adam in, in the past, that a lot of times he's avoiding some of these conversations because he thinks that's going to happen. And, and it's like, well, she's seeing me as being dishonest. Well, if you're not being open about these things and you are hiding these things because you don't want her to blow up, you are being it dishonest. Is a
1: dishonesty right? And he, he's somewhat admitting it.
0: Yes. So I think
1: to restore trust, we have to come from a place of honesty first. We're not going to start building trust by telling her, hey, look over here. Don't look at what's going on over <laughs> here. So, and I, I love what you said there, Johnny, being open of, hey, I want to work through this mm-hmm. and I need your help working through this. And now be open to the feedback, right? That's the other thing. When we avoid it and we avoid it and now we feel attacked over it, well, we're not going to be as open to that feedback because we're going to go into defensive mode. So it comes from you being honest with her. One, two, saying, "Hey, I actually want to work on this," and opening that feedback loop and being comfortable with hearing some things. Maybe you don't really like that. You don't like about yourself, right? Yeah. Because it, you're going to have to change in this situation. And guess what? Avoiding conflict, something that I've struggled with too. The
0: conflict always gets larger. Of course, yeah. yeah. Always. And no one wants to hear that you're wrong or that you messed up, and especially if you haven't realized it. Like in, in my I have a silly story that I was laughing about because it goes along with this. So just recently, as you know, I've been uh, working into a new band. They're working on a record, and because of that, and, and with my obligations and attention towards AOC. It's, it's an afterthought. I show up, I learn the songs I play, but because it's an afterthought for me and a more of a primary thing for them, they were a bit down on my progression over the, the few weeks of, and I wasn't where they thought I would be. Now I didn't think anything of it. Cause I'm like, Hey, the show's not in a couple of weeks. So I got plenty of time. And then I got sick. Now I was going to rehearsal knowing that I wasn't near where I wanted to be. But I wanted to be at rehearsal anyway, and I fudged through it. And I was laughing because I, I laughed. I was like, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So the next day, I get a phone call, and it was, hey, we need to talk. And I was like, oh, here we go. So I'm trying, and it was one of those, we'll talk later with Tommy Free. So there was about four hours of letting my brain go through all the different problems that I case thought it was. Exactly. Right? You know, we have the talk and there were some issues. And I, of course, was I took responsibility for not knowing my my the parts. And I was like, I'm sorry. Yes, I wasn't where I wanted to be. And that's on me. And I, I will fix that. And then but there were some other issues going on that I wasn't aware of. So now it was a it was a criticism of some tonality and some other things that as a musician for playing since I was a kid and being 45 now and playing in a million bands throughout my life my ego took a hit and I was like, whoa, what? So now my initial reaction was, fuck you guys. I don't need this. I've got to. So, and so I got emotionally and I had to eat it. And I was like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll work on that. Yeah. If you want to get together tomorrow, well, let's hash it out in the room. And I ended the call and I was able to override my, emotional response with logic and and understanding but i was laughing of how emotionally pissed off i was and then i was like let's explore your emotions right now and i was like did you show up unprepared oh yeah okay had you made an attempt to think about what you were bringing into band and if it's fitting what what they're already working with no So you think that they have a point that what you were doing wasn't quite fitting in the way they thought it was going to? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And I go through this whole thing and I was laughing about it and there was this having to admit they were completely right, but for... Two, three days, every time I thought about the problem, though, my first thought was, fuck those guys. <laughs> 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 Knowing damn well that it was all on me, and of course, we hashed it out, we worked it out, playing this weekend, I'm really excited about it. But it was just funny, also, understanding human nature as well as we do, talking about these things as much as we do, still having to go through it, and going through the emotional theater, because you can't stop that process you have to allow itself to play out so that you can get okay with it and it was and i was laughing about even after all this time i still have to play this game with myself it was interesting
1: ego is always going to be it in a way <laughs> i mean there's no getting around it and his ego is a little bruised and mm-hmm. he knows that you know in her coming at him that he's going to have to eat some of it and he's going to have to open up to her and i think the other thing when we're talking about trust here is the more you kick this can down the road, the harder it's going to be to get that trust back if it's even repairable.
0: Well, imagine I kick it down the road a few months. How many new things are going to be built up? So then when it finally blows up, now everyone's like, but you did this and that led me to do this. And then I did that. So you went and did this and now I had to do this. And now we got (laughs) danger, try to fix that.
1: Thanks for getting us started, Matt. Next up, Sarah sees some toxic behaviors in herself and wants to know how to leave them behind. Haley has a question about setting boundaries with a long-term friend. And Lance wants to know how to find new friends outside of church when we get back, Charm. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the
0: show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas
1: knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too.
0: That is completely amazing. And that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit Bombus.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase.
1: And once you try Bombus, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombus work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether well, it's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm. And use code charm at checkout. All right, Sarah sent us a question through the slash questions. Hey guys, after hearing you talk about toxic relationships and people, I started to search for what would be considered toxic behavior. And unfortunately, I find that I actually show some of that in my relationships. I don't want to hurt the people I care about. So how do I change my behavior to become a better friend? So now there's some self-awareness. And that was really one of the reasons that we wanted to do this entire theme was because We've been on the other side. We've been toxic in relationships. We've shown darker sides, worse sides of ourselves. And we wanted to allow all of us to not only recognize it in others, but start to recognize it in ourselves. That's a great first step.
0: Well, anytime you feel that you're under attack, it's easy to lash out. Even me and the the story I just mentioned, the minute my ego took a hit, it was not reflect and fix my problem. It was go on the attack. And I had to override that, uh, that, that, uh, natural response and and here at least she's able to, to see I've exhibited some of these behaviors and even in my story at this point I still exhibit these behaviors we all still exhibit these behaviors it's our response yes.
1: right and we talk a lot about habit building there's a trigger and there's a response so number one is recognizing what is that trigger yep. what is the thing that gets you to then go to the dark side and for each one of us, it's going to be a little different. Maybe it's your friend making a comment about something you did that makes you go negative towards Mm -hmm. them and push back. Maybe it's when something at work doesn't go your way. And all of a sudden you lash out at your friends and you bring your work drama into your other relationships. But it's first identifying what is the trigger that precedes the bad behavior that I'm trying to remove. Then once we recognize the trigger, we can start attaching a good behavior to that. Like that trigger could mean, okay, now I'm going to actually give her a compliment. Now I'm going to tell my friend what I like about her instead of all the things that I hate about her, right? But we need to find that trigger that is creating this toxic environment. And sometimes it's okay to understand that we've been conditioned this way, right? A lot of us are learning these toxic behaviors
0: at our childhood. Well, they're replicated behaviors. Right.
2: I have a good example for this. My, um, my parents were total hippies. So in our household, there was never any yelling. When we had an <laughs> argument, we talked the way we're talking right now. You know. And my wife's family, they're, they're originally from Turkey. They're way more emotional than Germans because we, we don't really have emotions <laughs> in the first place. And uh, in their household, it was normal to, to yell. right? And um, I think yelling is a form of violence and I don't want her to yell at our daughter right? And she also doesn't want this, but it's a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. This was something that we did in our family meetings, was like, you know, I had this as a point that I want to address, but addressing this in the moment when she was already yelling at our daughter, if I then, you know, like, why are you doing this? Then she blows up even more, right? So then we sat down and we're, we're brainstorming how we can solve this, right? And we decide to use a safe word. We're standing in front of some bananas. They had some spots. And I said, like, okay, if I say faule banan, which means like rotten bananas in German, this reminds you that you actually don't want to yell at the other. And then brings you into the awareness and then let's we'll see how this will goes. And it worked like a charm. Like I, I'm working in my office and I heard her yelling at Emma. I just have to yell faule banan and it stopped. Before it was like always, oh, you know, the spiral went down the drain.
1: Yeah. So understanding the trigger and then ultimately allowing yourself to replace that negative behavior with a positive behavior, we can start to condition ourselves and build the habits towards being more positive and being more uplifting and collaborative
0: with the people around us. And it's it's certainly difficult because you have a trigger, you have an emotional response, and that emotional response has been programmed in you for how long? With all the biochemistry. Until you decided to now make this change. So please have some self-compassion in knowing that this is going to be a challenge, this is going to be difficult, and this is something that we're going to be working towards. And then practice a bit of that stoicism of emotional charge. Let's watch it rather than act and be moved by it and try to rise above it. And the thing is, you know, a lot of people get in their mind, that now that they have identified it, I want to change that. So I'm going to flip this switch, and I'm just going to be this new person. It just doesn't work in that manner. However, let's say if your emotional response is this way, and now we're working on it, well, even if you've went through this trigger, and you've stopped yourself in, in doing this, this response, 50% of the time. Well that's that's much better than you were last month.
1: Right, that's you're, working on it.
0: You're you're getting there. And it's it's a it's mindful and it takes time. And
1: raising your self-awareness, which is why being someone who practices journaling consistently mm-hmm. so that you can look back and reflect on these behaviors, right? You've identified you have toxic behaviors. Part of identifying the trigger is going to be looking back and reflecting on all the times that these behaviors have presented themselves. And journaling that over time, as Johnny said, you're going to start to see some movement in the right direction, which is going to empower you to work further on this. The other thing I would say is be honest with people and say, I don't like these behaviors in myself. I'd like your support, right? So your example's great. In your friends and the people who care about you, they know you want to work on this, they can give you that safe word. They Mm -hmm. can give you something to replace the trigger so that it raises your awareness in the moment, catches you before it does real damage to the people you care about. So that was a great example. Thank you, David. Here's one from Haley. I'm currently listening to the podcast episode 722, What Matters Most in Difficult Conversations. And I have a question regarding emotional bids and personal boundaries. I have a friend that I've known since third grade. In the past four or five years, she has not been the kind of friend I would like to have in my circle. However, since I've known her for so long, I feel that I have to be loyal to the friendship. In the past, she has expressed selfish behavior, and whenever I have tried to have a constructive conversation with her, she gets defensive and starts emotionally attacking me. I don't get anywhere with her, and I bottle up my problems with her because of past conversational trauma. Within the past year or two, I've started being more conscious of her behavior, and I've noticed that she only reaches out to me when she has a problem in her life, and she never reaches out to genuinely see how I'm doing, which makes me feel used and abused. Even when I respond to her messages, she never says thank you for the listening and never turns the conversation over to how I'm doing after she has her rant. It's as if she opens the conversational door simply to dump all of her crap on my lap and then walks out the door and shuts it without a thank you. So my question is this, how do I bring up my issues with an emotionally sensitive friend and how do I set boundaries without seeming harsh? Thank you for taking the time to read my question. Keep up the good work.
0: Can I just say, I want to read this. I want to quote this. It says, it's as if she opens the conversational door simply to dump all her crap on my lap and then walks out the door and shuts it out. Thank you. Uh, no, that's not what sh- uh, that's as if that is exactly what she's doing.
1: And okay, let's unpack this layer by layer. I think the first thing is you have been friends for a very long time so it is worth attempting what we're going to lay out there but I will be honest setting boundaries has to involve some level of harsh it has to have something on the other side to change this behavior and that example that David gave earlier about the coworker coming in late I can't be your friend any longer if this behavior continues mm-hmm.
2: Not, ye- not yelling, just like saying, calm. Right. you know, I would love to be your friend. I'd l- I've enjoyed I being friends with you since
1: the third grade. In fact, we've had a number of great times together. But your behavior towards me, when you yell at me, emotionally manipulate me, dump all of your problems on me, uh, makes me feel unsupported in this relationship. Makes me feel like an unpaid therapist in hmm. a lot of ways. And I don't think I could be your friend any longer if this behavior continues.
0: You're absolutely correct in that and i want want to also add that it's going to take a lot of courage to do and this is going to come out of nowhere because in the past you haven't done this Mm -hmm. and so it's going to feel harsh it's It's going to feel uncomfortable and i'm going to say that you will be getting a emotional response that you're going to have to weather through now this person could actually hear that uh, take it to heart and apologize. But <laughs> from, from reading this, this person has gone off and, and I expect her to go off and you should as well. And just say, I want you to sit on that for a few days and then we're going to have a conversation moving forward.
1: Actions speak louder than words. Someone who is a sociopath, someone who is a severe emotional manipulator, is going to say, oh my God, I'm sorry, is going to do everything in their power to salvage the relationship through words. So look at the actions. Mm -hmm. Is there movement in the direction of the behaviors that you'd like to reward and you'd like to be around? Or is it just lipstick on a pig? Is it just saying it so that she can alleviate this conversation and then the next week she's back to dumping her problems on you? Boundaries have to have some teeth to them, which means Mm -hmm. when this happens again, you've laid out the boundary, it happens again. It's saying, okay, I'm not going to answer her phone call. It's texting her. We can no longer spend time together. You continue to exhibit the behavior that for me is a deal breaker in our friendship. And in that moment, this is when real friends start to change their behavior. Behavior does not get changed with soft boundaries, no boundaries. Behavior gets changed when the one thing that that person wants, your attention, your support is now removed from the equation. That now allows the person to see, hey, I have to do something to change my behavior, or I'm going to continue to feel bad in this relationship.
2: There's, um, first of all, I'd love to hire you as a copywriter because this was like really well written. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you let an employee go, that's a very tough thing to do. Like I've been doing this many times, and it's always very unpleasant. Uh, In some book I read, they call it the 48 hours of pain. (laughs) You know, you kind of feel really shitty leading up to this and then you don't feel really good afterwards. But you know, you have to make these these drastic steps because you're the sum of the five people that you surround yourself the most with, right? And you cannot have somebody on the team that's dragging you down. So it's really important that you make these tough choices. You know, see like your business, you cannot afford to have, you know, an employee that's that's not performing at all or that's even negative towards the outcome that you desire, like let's say happiness or whatever.
1: Absolutely. And Cultivating, as we talked about earlier, the thoughts that you consume, the news that you consume, the positivity that you surround yourself with is a big reason that successful people talk about ending up on the show here. That is that cultivation and that discipline of surrounding yourself with passionate, supportive people, making sure that we're not just constantly consuming the negative from social media or the news allows us to feel happy, allows us to move through some of life's hardships with resiliency. But man, if you got a friend like this who's just piling all of her problems on your shoulders, it's gonna be tough for you to deal with your own problems. Yeah. Lance asks, AJ, Johnny, I love your show and listen to it a lot. I'm currently struggling finding a good community of friends and hope you can help. I wanna find good friends who are positive and share my values, but I don't know where to start. I'm 25 and I'm not religious, and it seems like most people start with their churches. I'm out of the phase of my life where I want to go drink and party. I just want to find accepting people who want to better themselves too without having to pretend I'm something I'm not in a religious house. Any ideas where to start?
2: Um, We talked about Toastmasters before. I think Toastmasters is a really great place. You will only find people who want to grow, who want to improve. Nobody else will go there. Otherwise, <laughs> I
1: know. Well, you you moved to Turkey, you're building a new social circle and, and you'd shared a, a story of what you did to set up some meetups in Turkey. You want to elaborate a little bit on your, oh, yeah, your sure, sure. marketing, your digital <laughs> marketing prowess?
2: Yeah. Um, I moved to Bodrum, Turkey, which is a really nice vacation destination in the south of Turkey. And everything's amazing. The food's amazing. The people are great. It's comparing to Los Angeles. It's very, very, very affordable there. But I did not have any digital marketer, nerds, or online entrepreneurs around me. And I was really missing that. So I thought, okay, let's start a meetup. So I made a meetup on meetup.com and also a a Facebook event. And then I thought, okay, let's take my phone, just make a super ghetto video of me saying, like, hey, I'm David, moved here from LA, want to meet other entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs. Let's come to my meetup, please. right, and I put in like 50 bucks uh, uh, for Facebook and Instagram ads. And, <laughs> and, I, and I went to bed and the next morning I woke up and I had 37,000 views Whoa! in the city where I live. And I only spent 40 some dollars, you know, which is mind blowing. So all the digital marketers out there- yeah, if don't, you... don't let that secret out of the bag yet. <laughs> <laughs> Traffic is cheap in turkey. And um, I had 280 people who want to come to this event. Yeah, and when I went to the gym the next day, like everybody was like, I saw your video, I saw your video, I saw your video, because I geo-targeted only the city where I live in, which is kind of crazy. Um, and You're blowing my mind. This is
1: amazing. Well, and I have another friend who did this for his dating, but
2: I'll let you finish. Yeah, And um, I only had a room that fits 30 people, which was kind of a problem. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I told him like, hey, it's only for advanced people, we're going to... F- do something for junior people. And yeah, I had a really good meetup. 40 people showed up or so. so.
1: The power of digital marketing. Yeah. I had another buddy, Ryan, uh, out in Denver, who loves country music, loves line dancing. And he had just moved to Denver and he wanted to go on more dates. And he didn't have time swiping, you know, swipe life. So he f- did the same thing, filmed a very short video saying, Hey, I'm Ryan. This is what I like. I'm looking for a girl who likes the same thing. He spent I want to say around 25 bucks on Facebook ads. (laughs) And it was geo-located just to the Denver area. And sure enough, almost all of the Metro Denver area women saw his video. They were approaching him on the street they were inviting him out on dates. And they were even recommending him to friends who didn't even live in Denver because they found his video so compelling. And then he ended up getting invited on the local TV network.
2: Wow. If, if this gets out, e-har- eHarmony stocks will probably crash. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, can really geo-target and like age, whatever, right? It's, you can like it's really dead break simple it down. to and with Facebook, knowing a few of your
1: interests, and meetup.com. We cannot recommend that yeah. enough. We've been doing some work behind the scenes with meetup.com. We've been recommending them back since our New York days. Yep. 12 years ago, we were rocking Meetup. It's grown tremendously. Since then, you can find local meetups around a variety of topics that do not involve drinking or partying.
2: Right, yeah, that's actually a great point.
0: I just wanted to, to point out and hit Lance's question here as well is he makes he makes it just a general broad assumption of of most people saying i'm not religious but it seems like most people start with their churches well some people but not most people i that's
1: well I, let's talk about some other places he can start if he doesn't have a church yeah charity mm-hmm. donating mm-hmm. your time i've gone to now three food drives i've met amazing people who are willing to give up a saturday morning to box food around the holidays, guess what, Lance? They're not drinking and partying. If you're boxing fruit on a Saturday morning, (laughs) you're not drinking and partying the night before. So if you're into snowboarding, you're into rock climbing, you want to learn how to cook, there are meetup groups around these exact same topics. Yes. The other thing I want to recommend, and we've had a number of alumni uh, reach success here in building out their social circles. Look for local sports teams. Mm -hmm. They have a number, flag football, um, kickball, you name it. Bowling leagues. You join one of those. It's very social. Toastmasters is a great start. And also look at improv. We've talked a lot about yeah. improvisational comedy. That attracts like-minded, fun-loving people who are into self-development and working on themselves and aren't afraid to make a fool themselves.
2: Conferences as well. I mean, maybe because I'm just such a business nerd, but I meet a big amount of my most of my close friends are actually work related to some degree. Yeah. Like we just went to traffic and conversion. It's right. almost like family reunion. You know, see like so many cool people. So and then you really share the same interest when you in your industry doesn't know what he's
1: saying. And about. a shameless plug here. Check out the Art of Charm challenge. We have a group with over yes. 15,000 people who love the show, just like yourself, who are looking to get better, posting about their values and even meeting each other offline. So yeah. highly recommend you check that out. Theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Now Just like last month, our inbox is overflowing with questions. Coming up, Emmett wants to hear any obvious red flags when looking for a partner. Matt worries about an ex-girlfriend who might hurt herself if he's not available. And Liz has a question about bringing a former toxic person back into her life.
0: Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny.
1: Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered.
0: Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star.
1: What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries.
0: Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a
1: $1 per month trial period at shopify.com charm. Go to shopify.com charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com charm. All right, Emmett asks, longtime listener and recently out of what I would consider a toxic relationship. What red flags do you look for when considering a partner? And what red flags do you look for in yourself to make sure you aren't that toxic person? Johnny, you snickered here. I feel like you've been, with your swipe life, seeing a lot of these red flags around LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: well, you know, I, before you can start looking at anyone else, it's always going to start with yourself. And, you know, we're going to exhibit replicated behaviors that, that we have learned that we're comfortable with. And a lot of times we don't even see them as red flags because they're normal behaviors for us because that's maybe the environments that we had grown up in. The way our first partner was in a relationship. Yeah. First and foremost, think about what your core values are and how you're going to engage in them on a daily and weekly basis and start moving there. From there, once you're feeling good that you're connected, you're grounded and you're, and you're doing the things that you want to be doing to feel good, then it's an opportunity for you to look outward to see who you want to bring into your life. Because you certainly don't want to bring anybody in if you're a disaster because what is going to happen there is you're the toxic person, which is going to infect the other person. And now we have two toxic people now dealing with the toxicity of their relationship, trying to codependency hold on to each other for dear life. And that's never a good thing.
1: Now, that is so important that we identify our own values. It's yes. actually one of the first challenges we have in the challenge because when we don't have our values to ourselves aligned, then it's gonna be very difficult for us to see these red flags in someone else. So, for example, if you value honesty, then obviously dishonest acts around you, whether it's lying to the waiter or lying to their mother, those actions are going to be red flags. Yes. But you won't see those red flags if you haven't identified that honesty is very important. Maybe it's trust. Maybe you wanna have trust so that you are not with someone who needs your passcode or needs to get into your email inbox constantly. But again, if you haven't identified this value, it's gonna be very difficult for you to identify the red flags that we're talking about. The last thing I would say is make a list of all of the behaviors from your past relationships that have bothered you, whether they've led to arguments or whether they've led to uh, blow ups or breakups. Then after you look at those actions, think about the values that are tied to those actions, right? Think about the underlying reason that that action angered you. When you've identified those, it becomes a lot easier In today's world with Swipe Life, where we're just presented with endless options to know option A is a good option for AJ, option B, she's better off being single here in LA. When you have that (laughs) as a guide, it becomes a lot easier. But a lot of these red flags, we don't take the practice of hindsight of looking back at the behaviors and actions that exhibited early in the relationship. Because listen, those red flags are there on date one. People are not good at hiding their their true selves for very long. We talk about maybe five to 10 minutes in interaction, but after that, you're going to start seeing some things. It's identifying your own core values that are important.
2: How you do one thing is how you do everything. You know, if somebody know lies that. to the waiter, they're also going to lie to you. If yeah. I'm an asshole at work, I'm going to be an asshole at home. It's just like we are who we are. We can't really change that. So, this is something when I hire people, I'm, I'm you know, his question is. Hard for me to answer because I've been with my wife for twenty years, you know. So, but when I hire somebody, I look at, at these little nuances on how they act because how you do one thing is how you do everything.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very hard to not show your true colors.
2: I wanted to,
0: to add to this as well. If you, if you haven't picked out what these core values are and what you're going to stand for and what's important to you, then you can be easily influenced and manipulated in any direction as long as it's sold in the right manner. And because you haven't put together what you stand on and you're able to easily be manipulated and influenced, you never truly found yourself and you're just going
1: to. Well, any option becomes attractive at that point, because now you're just playing with brain chemistry, Mm -hmm. right? Now it's just a matter of, well, did they touch me? Did they comfort me?
0: It's it's not clear. And right there saying it's uh, well that that person generally is going to make decisions best how they feel in the moment because that's all they have to go on.
2: Right. And you're a leaf in the wind if you don't have strong vision statement in in a business same vision statement, mission statement, core values. And every big decision you run through these points and see it's your decision filter for and decisions become easier. Yes, Yes, much, much easier. That's
1: the thing. What we're talking about here makes that decision of whether or not to get in a relationship with the next person even easier. Johnny, I had to add this question right before we started. I knew you were going to have a a little bit for Janelle here. She wants to know, many of us are struggling with strong expectations under the influence of the current political sphere. I feel like I need a trigger warning just for this question. (laughs) I've had friends become angry with me for not taking a stronger stance on my political leanings in both social settings as well as on social media. Some have gone so far as to say it is my duty to speak up against the wrongdoings and mentality of the other side. They become very agitated with me if I try to take a more neutral or peacekeeping stance. I don't want to do this anymore. It just feels ugly and dividing. It's not fun. I know that irrespective of what your political leanings might be, everyone is now feeling this pressure. Great. In fact, 10 years ago, this was a non-issue for most of us. What in the hell happened? Considering that the culture is currently pretty evenly split down the middle on the political front, that means many of us are missing out in meaningful connections with nearly 50% of those people we meet. How can we navigate
0: this? Wow. And I, I'm going to agree wholeheartedly with everything that she had said. And yes, you are missing out on meeting some wonderful people. And it, it is awful. I always feel... Pushed and pulled in certain directions. And because of that, it is rather it has only turned me off from both sides. You know how I feel that from the tactics that both sides have been using against each other, I now see both of them as morally reprehensible. And the tactics they're using are are more morally reprehensible reprehensible and hypocritical and awful. This is something else that we were talking about in our relationships month where I'm not even asking people what their social media is anymore as I would go out on a date because I don't want to know I just want to have an awesome conversation and go from there and I know a lot of our listeners are like, what Johnny doesn't do any
1: research before he goes on these dates. Nope. It's a, it's a dead end road. And it's it, been amazing. And, and, and you're still
0: alive. <laughs> oh, well, as, as and I was smiling, look at that smile. Yeah. Well, check us out on YouTube. He's got a big smile. On I it. certainly do. It's, it's, and it's been way more fun because there's no agenda. There's no plan for where the conversation is going to go and try to like bang a square peg in a round hole. It's being present in the moment and enjoying the experience of meeting this new person. Now, Now, on here, you know, I got to say, I do not take kindly from people pushing me and trying to put me in a position. And yes, I've been in situations where people are trying to, well, you need to stand up. You need to say something. First of all, we have to understand that your political leanings are based on your temperaments that are DNA encoded. And so people are going to be leaning in a direction that is feels good to them because of how they were raised, their DNA, and all these things. So, you know. And we're we're living
1: in the misinformation age. Yeah. There's more information that's been unvetted out there on every platform available. It's part of the reason we've been able to just walk into this room and start recording. Mm-hmm. Right. If you look at traditional journalism. You're looking at people who go to school to study the issues in detail and then spend years honing that craft just to try to get to a deeper truth. But even journalism is a search for a truth that a lot of times <laughs> they can't make. They no. can't get to the truth. But now it's become this tribalism that we've all sort of fallen back on. And it, it has been a minefield. I know Johnny and I even talk about 12 years ago doing this show, we would come in here some gin and tonics and let rip. Now we got producers, everything we're saying, we're we're running through a filter. Why? Because in this climate, there are real repercussions Mm -hmm. to the words that you say that now live on the internet forever. Forever. So I don't think there's anything wrong with being metered and measured in what you say. And I think you need to draw a boundary with your friend. Same advice we had earlier. Listen, guys, yes, I share these views, but I'm not comfortable being a vocal advocate of it. And it makes me feel uncomfortable when you push me in this direction. If this continues, I don't think I can continue being your friend. That is not the direction that I'd like to go.
0: And just think about that. There's this whole thing about outing people. Uh, one way or another so that so they can feel well well, pure pressure into manipulating and influence you in certain directions and that is just not right that is an awful thing i wouldn't want my friends doing that to me and i wouldn't want to do that to other people and if you're feeling that you certainly needs to be brought up however if you're at work and it seems that if you just play ball, then things are going to be a lot easier for you. Well, that's a whole nother thing.
1: Well, yeah, there's obviously the cultural fit at work. If yeah. this is going on in the workplace, you got to think long and hard of, is this something are, that you want to be are
0: involved you, in? Are you in the Unless right
1: place. The work is actually political activism. But I think most of us right now need to come to conversations a little more measured to begin with and a little more accepting of opposing viewpoints. Now, I know Johnny and I, we're constantly trading links from both sides of the aisle, trying yeah. to figure out ourselves on a search for truth. And I would recommend that if that's how you're leaning, then try viewing it from the other angle. Try putting on some empathy and going on the opposite end and look at what they're posting and talking about.
0: You know, to, to go along with that, and I wholeheartedly agree with that, you should be on both sides of the aisle getting information. And it's what's also neat is that you're we are now exposed to so many different ideas and lenses For instance, let's take the the Covington kid thing that happened a few months ago. You can look at that from the conservative side, from the liberal side, from the like, and that's just two, but there's multiple other angles to look at it uh, from as well. And all those lenses are represented on YouTube and you can, and I have to say from some of the Ways that I have viewed these things really had shed some light that I hadn't thought about because of these two sides bickering at each other. So it's something to think about. And my encouragement is to experience multiple lenses.
2: I can't really say anything about polit- political <laughs> views because, first of all, I'm not consuming any news for the last 15 years. And that's where I need to go. <laughs> Look and at I, that smile. I, <laughs> oh <yes>. yeah, that's <laughs> why I'm so happy. And uh and I'm uh I've not been living in countries where I can vote for for over ten years. So but I can bring another hot or like controversial topic to the table. I'm vegan for many years. <laughs> and um I have pretty extreme views in you know why I'm I'm vegan. You know, I even mm-hmm. think that maybe I get crucified for saying that, but uh in Fifty years, we may look back at sure. eating animals the same way we look back at having slaves. You know, because it's just like, oh no, it's it's just so wrong on so many levels. Um, Hoppers is happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we have we have we have seven dogs, and there's I think there's no difference between a dog and a lamb and a cow. They all feel emotions. They're all other beings. You know, like why why would I hurt them? But I think being combative will not help. You know, if I want to convince you, if I want to influence you, that you eat less meat or become vegan it doesn't help that I call you idiots or whatever murderers or whatever it's like to throw like fake blood on us out yeah, from yeah, the Yeah. it's, it's <laughs> completely pointless right it's just like uh, and this I think this is what's happening like with people having these extreme opposing views I think it's like coming together and just talking right if I want to influence you I can just live by example right. and I cannot f- force you to, to thinking talk.
1: about that everything we're talking about here is, is turning the volume down Right? Your friends are asking you to shout more and yeah. stick up more and be louder. And if you look at every single compromise we're talking about here, it's it's lowering our voice. We're talking about yeah. conflict in our families. We're talking about conflict with toxic people. It's lowering our voice and being
0: metered and measured. If well, you have
2: to yell, your argument is too weak, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> and I, it's obvious, and certainly in, in, in this country, but it seems to be, at least from my observation, happening other places too, is that we're becoming more divided and I think it's our duty and obligation to figure out ways to ri- to rise above that and f- uh, find ways of, of bringing people together. 100%.
2: Yeah. All Yeah.
1: right. Matt wants to know, he has an ex-girlfriend. By definition, she is an all-around textbook toxic person and has been for the majority of her life. She severely struggles with depression and anxiety, which caused her to pendulum between somewhat functioning and periods of scary suicidality. She has harmed herself a handful of times and even attempted once in front of me when confronted about her behavior. Since we've broken up, she still periodically reaches out when her depression is deep enough. I'm afraid that if I don't respond to her while in this state, she could harm herself or worse. When conditions are positive, she can be very charming and fun to be around, but her unresolved issues can be overwhelming. What sort of mindset or plan of action could I look at to do what's best for both of us when suicide and self-harm are a factor? Thank you for all your work. It's much appreciated.
0: First of all, she should be seeing a therapist. Let's just start with that. And anything that you could do to encourage that would probably be best. And yeah. I
1: would I would look at your relationship with her family. Yeah. You said that you were in a relationship with her if there yeah. is at least some sort of bond or connection you still have to her mother or father to reach out to them to allow the conditions to be right for her to get back to therapy if she's not in therapy?
0: Now, outside of that, I understand that every time she says this, cries wolf, whatever you want to say, and you give her the attention that she is looking for, that behavior is not going to change. And it's going to continue. You've built a habit for her. Yep that she feels bad you'll pick up the phone yep and now she knows that she can keep using this and to she get will you back and into she her life. will for as as long as you allow her and once again we are going to be having a difficult conversation of boundaries that uh is going to be difficult and there's going to be a difficult emotional response from the other party that you're going to have to weather
1: and being honest with this behavior is not acceptable to me. We're no longer in a relationship. I understand that you still want to be friends with me, but I can't keep doing this any longer. In these moments where you're feeling this way, I would appreciate you reaching out to your family and friends that you're close with. I can't be here for you any longer.
2: Soft with the person, harden the case, tell her how <laughs> yeah. it is, right? And then I'll probably, if I'll be in the situation, I'll probably... If this happens again, she calls me. I would reach out to her father or whatever. Say like, hey, she must be not doing good. She called me again. Please reach out to her. Right, right. And,
1: then, then. and then if it continues to happen, that that is unfortunately a, a blocking of the number. And I know it sounds awful to go that route, but at this point, she's used this behavior. And yes, I know it's been scary for you, but she's used this behavior now to control you. Yes, She is controlling you. Mm-hmm. And you can't find your own... Personal happiness and well being, being in a relationship that's still this toxic, even though she's your ex girlfriend.
0: I want to I want to add to this as well. A lot of these problems and issues that we that we come to, and certainly some of the letters. If this wasn't you, and you heard it from a friend, you would know exactly what to, to tell your friend. But because it's you, you've made some mental gymnastics to make your scenario different and. Keep in mind that you are painting yourself as the special snowflake. You're a situation special and keep that in mind because a lot of times we have the, the answer. We know what to do and we would even think like, I don't understand why my friend is not taking this advice. I'm just, I told him what to do here and well, it's because it's, he's in it and he's rationalized these behaviors and made it that his case is different and that's what makes a lot of these things difficult.
1: Yeah. And and speaking to her family, you know, ask ask them, is there someone that they reach out to in these moments? Maybe there's a professional that they're working with. Maybe they have her doctor's phone number or her therapist's phone number that you can immediately pass this information along to. I don't think you need to continue to put yourself in the situation. I understand you want to be supportive, but it's doing you a lot of harm.
0: There's another thing that once you do this, And let's just say that you've called family and and they call her and like, hey, you uh, you called Brad and he's upset uh, because he was worried about you. And of course, now the family's involved. Wait, I don't have a problem. I don't know why he called you. I don't know why he said that because you just took, you pulled the rug out from her. You took the power away. One last
1: question before we roll out of here. This one comes from Liz. Love your show. My question is about toxic people and forgiveness. I like this one and I'm happy we're ending on it. My former best friend struggled for a long time with anxiety and chose to seek counseling to get help. We grew apart because she was really negative and I struggled to remain my best self around her. Recently, she reached out and apologized for some of the things that she did and she's been sticking with counseling and actually feeling a lot better. I was thrilled to hear she's doing well and would love to become close friends again. How do we know when and if to let people back into our lives who may have been negative before? And how do we keep from just writing people off if they're doing the work to change?
2: I would definitely let this person back into my life, but I would have very clear rules. (laughs) Decision tree, if this, then that. Right? If you do, if you show even remotely this behavior again, I love you, I would love to have you back, but this is when there's a hard stop. And just like communicate this from the start, And also make this clear, really clear to you what these things are, like make it measurable to some degree. Right, and and some self-reflection here, right? Obviously there's some
1: actions and behaviors that drove you guys apart. What were those? Understanding them on a deep enough level that you can draw now clear boundaries around them so that if this negative emotional behavior is being brought back in, even if it's small, as we said earlier in the show, how you do anything is how you do everything. And even though they're working on it, Everyone deserves a second chance, especially someone who's seeking help for this and has identified that it's an issue and actually apologized to you for it. We're not about writing people off permanently. We're not about cutting people out of your life unless the toxicity continues in a way that keeps you from the happiness that we all deserve. And Mm -hmm. we don't want anyone to be trapped by the toxic environment and the toxic people we surround ourselves with. So I'm not interested in writing people off full stop until behaviors have dictated so. And that's really it, right? Words only go so far. It's all about the actions here. Paying close attention to the actions when you slowly bring her back into your life. What I will say is it's very easy in these situations. And we see this in our dating advice with getting back with our ex. It's very easy for us to look back and only see the positive and see things in a very rosy light of like, man, I really want this best friend back. I would ask you, Liz, are you also working enough on yourself to meet new people and allow new people to become your close friend, right? Sometimes our past needs to stay in our past. And being clear with that can really help you move through it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, David. It's been a lot of fun peppering you with questions and learning all about managinghappiness.com, where all of our listeners can go to learn how to be happy in today's life, where we're juggling lots of balls and trying to figure out how we can move forward and allow the people around us to support us in that. So thank you for joining us. Great German advice, great entrepreneurial (laughs) advice. I know that I'm constantly hitting you up for advice and you've been gracious enough to mentor me and the business here over the years and we couldn't be happier to have you on the show.
2: Thank you, Thank you. Thank you for having me, it was awesome.
1: I still can't believe David is a recovering introvert. He's a super connector and his network is huge and he's had to work through that. Plus, I loved his wisdom on setting
0: boundaries. Criticize the problem, not the person. He's certainly a brilliant guy and for a lot of issues we've had, you give him a ring and he's got answers. Exactly, a little bit
1: goes a long way. We have a shout out from listener Utica Karate who left us an awesome review on iTunes. I've come across your podcast for years, but because I'm in a relationship, I've largely ignored the show until recently. You guys are spot on with the tactics you suggest to improve my experiences with other people and to learn to accept and move around toxic relationships without burning those bridges. Excellent content.
0: It always cheers me up when we get great reviews. Speaking of which, can you head on over to iTunes, find our podcast, The Art of Charm. We love the feedback and we love those suggestions too. Like the one from Drifting Mama sent us about toxic tribalism that we covered on today's episode.
1: That's right. We are answering your questions and we love getting feedback. And hey, mentorship and coaching doesn't have to be as involved as having a business coach. You can get great mentorship almost anywhere. And if you're interested in something like that, you should definitely check out our free 10-day social skills challenge.
0: It's a great place to learn about the power of mentorship. And it's also a great way to challenge yourself and try something new, like meeting new people or reach out to that mentor you've always shied away from.
1: The group has over 15,000 members and it's a great support group if you're looking for advice on anything we cover here on the show.
0: Plus, AJ and I are there every week doing a live stream. So head on over to yardofcharm.com slash challenge to join.
1: All right, time to wrap this up. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Chris Olin and Michael Harold.
0: This show is recorded at Cast Media Studios in sunny Hollywood, California. It's engineered by Danny Luber and Bradley Denham.
1: I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us this week. We're excited to kick off next month with a new theme.
0: Have a fantastic week.